I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Carl Vondero. Carl is an award-winning author of crime fiction. As a child growing up in Cleveland, he loved to write. His ghost stories scared the bejesus out of other kids, but it took a long time to become a full-time author. He left Cleveland to study at Stanford, then spent more than 30 years as a banker in the U.S., Latin America, Canada, and North Africa. Those international settings were sources of inspiration for his books. His first novel, Murderabilia, was published in 2019 and won a Left Coast Crime Award for Best Debut and a San Diego Book Award for Best Mystery. His second novel, Saving Miles, was published on August 15, 2023. Working with nonprofits is also important to Carl. He is the president of Partners in Crime, the San Diego chapter of Sisters in Crime, an organization that supports authors and fans of crime writing. He also volunteers with San Diego Social Venture Partners to men- mentor other nonprofits. Carl lives with his wife in San Diego. His two grown sons live close by and wonder how he knows so much about serial killers and banking crimes. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you, Kara. Thank you. It's going to be fun to be here. Yes, I'm so glad. Listeners, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Carl recently at the San Diego Festival of Books and got drawn in by his book, Saving Miles. And I had my kids in tow, so it was a little bit sometimes I feel like a scatterbrained squirrel type of conversation when I'm tracking an eight, five and three year old sometimes. But I was really intrigued and he reached out. And so here we are. And now I finished Saving Miles at the beach this weekend. That was lovely. Um, But it is a fantastic read. Thank you for sharing this with me. Good. I'm so glad you said it was a fantastic read. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's always a relief for an author when somebody likes your book. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. I remember there was a gentleman standing by your booth there and he said, oh, it reminded me of a John Grisham type novel. And it definitely did. Mm. It's been a long time since I've read John Grisham, but it took me back. Those were some of my first books I loved reading as an adult. So Mm. Mm. that's interesting Um, because, uh, you know, I haven't read. Well, I've listened to some Grisham books and one of the books I read a long time ago was The Firm. Okay. And I always wonder what would it be like if there was a bank that was controlled by the mob or the cartel? So, yeah. you know, and that's what happens in this book. Yeah. And it's really not that far-fetched, right? And that's what I think I love about it. It seems like a very realistic, this could be happening. It could be. It could be. I had to do a lot of research on kidnapping, on money laundering. Uh, so some of those, some of that, those parts of the book would be accurate. Yeah. And for any listeners that might have lived or currently live in San Diego, you will appreciate a lot of it because it's set here in in La Jolla and down in Tijuana. And I loved traveling through the pages and stuff I see locally every day. Oh, nice, nice. Well, um, I like to um, visit the places where my books are set. And so um, I had some friends from the YMCA who, okay. who worked with the YMCA in Tijuana I said, can you show me where some, you know, kidnapping might occur or where the rich people live or where a shelter for street kids might be? 
And so I toured around Tijuana with these friends, took pictures, wrote things down. And uh, I remember going to the first place for, for the kidnapping. And it was this it was this plaza with all these bars and swirling different types of music from bar to bar to bar and all kinds of people. You could smell the marijuana. And I thought, well, could a kidnapping occur here with all these people here? Yeah. So we went out to the parking lot and there were guards out in the parking lot and people walking around. No, not there, but there was this driveway that went underground and they went underground and there in parts of these concrete ceiling were falling on the floor. It was wet. There was mildew. There was a broken, there was a broken light bulb on the ceiling. And I thought, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even as you're painting that picture, even having read the book yeah. and now you're painting this picture, I'm like, yeah, that's like the perfect setting for a kidnapping right there. Yeah. Yeah. So you never know. And then, you know, the rich people live up on the hillside in these compounds that are like several hundred yards, some of them, with these wow. walls around them and guard cars on the street and these sort of malnourished trees on the street with lacking water. But you can imagine behind these walls are probably gardens, you yeah. know, really lush vegetation, almost no windows facing the street because they're worried about security. Wow. Uh, but the windows face a view of Tijuana. So uh, I I thought, wow. Yeah. So did you already have a storyline kind of going in your head and then just traveling and visiting these places really helped cement the way the story was going to go for you? It did. I mean, uh, well, there are two things that, that are the basis of the story. One was what I talked about with, you know, the firm. What if a bank was controlled by a cartel? But yeah. that's just the plot line. Underneath is a dysfunctional family. And uh, my motto in writing books is that behind every crime is a family, yeah. both for the perpetrators as well as the victims. So that's really where the story is, the dysfunctional family with three points of view of how, how they fight and how they come together in order to survive. Yeah, I loved that bit of the storyline, right, of the families trying to come back together to to do what they needed to do. And I think that's a beautiful thread that went through the book there. Um, I also was, you have, you know, based off your bio and we know this, but you have a history and you were a banker first. I was, I was, okay. but I was always, I, I've been a writer for a long time. It's just taken me a long time to, to publish. <laughs> I, I go back to my childhood where um, I repeated kindergarten. And so that's sort of the theme of my life. It takes me a little longer than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, and I was raising kids. And my, my wife and I were raising kids. We lived in Montreal. You know, I had more than a full-time job. I had to learn French while I was there. And, and every 15 minutes I had, I would try and write. So, okay. so, you know, if, if, if I finished work at six and the bus didn't come till 645, I'd go to a, a coffee house and I'd write like mad, you know, just yeah. write as fast as I could. And it takes all the editing out of it, which is really great for a first draft. So I was writing and writing and writing, but I, it was really wasn't until we moved to uh, San Diego where I kind of had the resources to help me become a better writer. Okay. Uh, because there were conferences, um, you could submit pages to editors at these conferences or other authors. 
critique groups, um, a whole community here supporting. So that's where I became a much better writer. Yeah. And how many years had you been writing before you got here in San Diego? Let's see. I, I must have been writing 10 or 15 years before before okay. that. We came in 2005. So I've been you know writing for a while. Yeah. yeah. I, I think as you're talking about like fitting in these 15 minutes, I had a guest on the show. Her name was Cynthia Newberry Martin. And I can't think of what episode number that is off the top of my head, yeah. but she was a lawyer uh -huh. and she, after from having baby three into baby four started staying at home with her children and she has post-it notes and she's a really, I think like a detail oriented person based off her conversation yeah. where she would write down how many free minutes she had in her day wow. to write. And it wow. was like starting back when her youngest before, you know, the fourth child was a young, yeah. like a, I don't know, maybe first year of life. Yeah. And she's like, I remember looking at this post-it and thinking I only had two free minutes back then. And now she's just published her third book. And so I just, I think of her as you say that of just, that seems to be the theme, right? Of whether we're reading or we're writing is you just fit it in your day. It's what you love. And yeah. so you make space. You can't always make time, but yeah. in, the, in the little time you have, you, you use it for that. You do. And I won't say I always love it, but <laughs> okay. it's what you have to do, right? Yeah. You just have to do it. So, yeah. so back then in your Montreal days, I, I were, did you say you were a writer at that point? No, no. Okay. I never told anyone at the banks I worked for that I was writing books, but I think people kind of guessed it at some yeah. points, but um, because it wasn't uh, good for my career, you know, people would have thought he really wants to be a writer. He doesn't want to be a banker. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny you say that as well, because I'm a physical therapist by trade Yeah. and I'm now a podcaster about books and that's been yeah. just function of lots of moves as well. Yeah. Um, but I think about that often of like, well, that was my professional life, but now I, I actually really love podcasting and talking about books. So I'm like, when do I just kind of just em embrace that and make yeah, the shift? Yeah. Well, and you'll find that you combine everything, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, you, at some point your physical therapy is going to seep into what you do about books. Yeah. And, and I can for, feel that already in like the interviewing yeah. process. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I have 45 minutes with a patient to learn their whole life story and figure out why they're coming to me and what they need for me. And yeah. so I have found that it has worked that has translated really well into podcasting is the interviewing. There you go. Well, and here I was, I kept hidden that I was, that I was a writer as a banker, but all my books so far take place in the banking setting yeah so, you know <laughs> yeah so what when you first got started writing were you using writing prompts or how did you did you have a storyline you were working on then well I've tried all all different kinds of things okay. um you know I, I wrote a book for 10 years it wasn't published but um and that place took place primarily in Colombia but you know you learn a little bit more and then the next book, uh, Murderabilia, took me a while to write. That was a very detailed outline, okay. uh, but it kept changing. And then for uh, Saving Miles, took me a little less time. Outline, got away from an outline, back to an outline. You know, I just kind of go back and forth because an outline is great because it gives you something to aim for, gives you a next scene to go. But at the same time, some of your best ideas come when you're writing and you change direction.
So, and I'm a great rewriter. I mean, my first book, Murderabilia, I wrote more than 20 times. Wow. And this one's probably 10 to 15 times for saving miles. And the one I'm working on now, I'm revising. So, wow. and, and, you know, it'll probably be five or six times anyway. So I guess I'm getting better. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I admire most about writers is just that perseverance of spirit, whether it's 20 rewrites, I feel like I, I don't know that I could do that. And then yeah. just the process of getting it published. I mean, that's oh. lengthy in itself oh, yeah. and coming oh, to yeah. fruition to be a book on the page. I'm like, you guys have the perseverance of spirit that I aim for. <laughs> Well, I, I always say that the two most important talents for a writer are patience and tenacity. Okay. Love Far that. more important than your writing ability. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, you're with it for a while. <laughs> you're with it for a while. And, and, you know, I mean, getting my first book published was a whole, oh, it was a whole odyssey. Yeah. So, you know, I had, I had an agent, he dropped me, had to get another agent, wow. you know, then the, the publisher three months after I signed the contract, they closed their doors, but they said they would still support me. And then it was wow. up for an award, a left coast crime here in San Diego. And the conference was canceled the day after it started. Oh. <laughs> so it's just, it seemed like it was one thing after another, but yeah. on the other hand, you know, I, I found an agent that was better suited for me. Mm -hmm. and I won the prize, you know, at Left Coast Crime. So what have I got to complain about? Yeah. Right? It's so. funny. I, as I get older, this is what I think about, right? Is I thought life would go one way and it all the time, it's taking a left turn. And I'm like, well, I didn't see that coming, but let me embrace it yeah. for what it is. Yeah. 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 And I've ended up using all the places where I worked and lived, you know, in my yeah. books and, and I'm kind of fascinated by different languages and how one language seeps into another. And, you know, that comes from personal experience. I mean, one of my favorite stories in Montreal is that I was learning French and so I would speak French every place I had a chance. So I go into a coffee house and there are these two women servers there and they're complaining about men in English. Oh, men are this, men are that. Okay. So I order my <laughs> coffee latte in French and they immediately begin speaking Greek. <laughs> Just kidding. We weren't speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> they recognized my English accent immediately and went to something they knew I couldn't do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I guess that works with like, hey, I was fitting into the culture as well. Cause I think there's something to be said there, right? Of moving and living in other countries and and you do just want to fit in right like you don't want to be like sticking right. out yeah well you do and you don't i mean you're special for being an alien in montreal right yeah and so i would tell people in french excuse my french but i'm american and i'm learning french and because i wasn't canadian they would give me all kinds of leeway right yeah so, so <laughs> you'd use it you'd use it yeah. And I, I always say that I never felt more American as when I was in Canada and more Canadian as when I'm in the U.S. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Where has been your favorite place you have traveled? I don't know. You know, I love Colombia. I, I traveled as, in high school to Colombia, and it's a beautiful country. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got jungle, mountains, desert. It's got seacoast, everything. Um, and you know, it has a history of violence too, but yeah, 
it is what it is. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful country. I think Canada is a beautiful country. Yeah. I mean, Montreal, you can drive for 40 minutes and be totally outside of the city and into countryside. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. If you could go back and tell your younger writer self something that you know now, what would you tell yourself? I'd say um, get involved with critique groups with other writers earlier yeah. and, and get feedback earlier. Um, Is it scary to put yourself out there like that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's what I, I, I think there are five stages to uh, writing a scene. Okay. And so the first time you write it, it's, it's okay. Second time you look at it no, it's, it's better. Third time is, wow, if I can just sustain this. Fourth time is, you know, there are prizes for writing this good. <laughs> and the fifth time is, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> you cycle all the way back huh, to the all beginning. All the way back, all the way back <laughs> and start again. Interesting. Okay. So, and was that's kind of what you go through personally. So that's yeah. not even with the critique or the feedback groups. Oh, that's often related to the feedback. Okay. I mean, you, you get into a critique group and you find what you think was brilliant. You missed the barn and what you thought was just so, so actually is pretty good. Okay. So, so you know, it, it really helps. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine just being able to bounce those ideas off people yeah, as well. Yeah. Sometimes they help you solve some problems that, you know, this doesn't make sense or this doesn't work. Yeah. 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 It's always good to have those people in your corner, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Although it, it can be uh, rather humbling. Yeah. Do you, when you're part of those groups, do they kind of group it by genre? Like, are you all writing a similar, maybe crime fiction, let's say? No, no. I'm in okay. a group which is more literary. Um, and so it helps me be more literary in my writing. Yeah. So it's more character driven, more internal driven. Okay. Um, so my internal sort of thoughts have become better as a, as, as because of that group. Yeah, so I think yeah. it helps. I think it helps being outside the crime writing group because you get a different perspective. Yeah, more character driven. Uh, yeah, I can imagine, like you said, just everybody comes from a different place, so they're going to be contributing something different to your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, well, and then one other question here about your writing: What yeah. did you learn about yourself? Huh. Well. I think for me, writing is a way to synthesize my life. Okay. All the different things I've lived and have happened to me and you put a plot around it and you have some realizations that you didn't have before and you draw meaning, different meaning that I didn't think of before. Um, so, you know, I mean, like with Saving Miles, what does it mean to be a father? Mm-hmm. You know, that's very, you know, I, I kind of delve into that. And even more important, it, it has three points of view. Right. So one is the father, one is the wife, mother, and one is the teenager. And the wife, mother is his extremely angry at her father, at the husband, because he's been totally absent and bringing up their son and she's sacrificed everything for her son. And now they've got a problem and she has an affair with a much younger man. And, you know, I don't, I don't have any experience with this, mm -hmm. but 
but I had to sort of delve into it and read about it. And what makes a woman unsatisfied with her marriage? Why would she have an affair? What does she get out of the affair? And why would she come back to the family? So I learned all kinds of things about that. Yeah. And, and the teenager too. Um, the teenager, <laughs> I, I, uh, how do I do a teenage voice? I'm not a teenager, right? I was just going to say that you did such a good job with the dialogue of the teenager. Oh, thank you. I thought you thank did a great you. job there. Well, that was hard. Let me tell you about <laughs> that. <laughs> Speaking of revising. Okay. So I thought, you know, how do I do a teenage voice? Well, I got to sound like a teenager. Yeah. So I looked up all this slang for teenagers and uh, my, my writing coach, Carolyn Wheat, who's really well known okay. around here. She said, who are your readers? <laughs> <laughs> and they're not teenagers. And then she said, should your readers need a dictionary to understand your writing? Yeah. So I cut out most of that. Okay. And what I'd left a few things in that were obvious by, because, by where they were in the dialogue. Sure. And I tried to be more in terms of the point of view of what was important to a teenager. And, you know, that resentment of a teenager, that idealism of a teenager, romance is above everything mm -hmm. as a teenager. And that's, that's the way I try to approach, approach Miles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was great. I highly enjoyed it. Listeners, it's Saving Miles, go get yourself a copy. It's out now. And I already know I'm going to be passing this book on to my husband. This seems right up his alley. So, oh, and good, you Thank know, you. and like you said, with the father perspective, I think he'll really enjoy it too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we can all be better. You know, it's the thing. We all think we can be better parents. Oh yeah. I think and, the same and same thing One as a mom. <laughs> and these kids, you know, a lot of parents now um, find that they can't control their teenagers and they're beyond them. They can't help them anymore. So they send them to these residential treatment centers because, you know, they have to save their lives. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of behind the story there. And I think a lot of parents feel that way today. There are over 10,000 kids sent to these treatment centers in Utah or Montana or Texas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, outward, they're, they're um, sort of wilderness programs as well as treatment centers. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the quality really varies. Yeah. Wow makes me sad for yeah, sure thinking yeah, about but, you know but you know um the kids grow up and they come back to the families and you're still a family unit no matter yeah. what happens so that's, yeah, gotta, gotta love them through it right <laughs> well if if i were to say the theme of this book is that um no matter how troubled the marriage or how broken the teenager um they can still come together to you know survive as a family and, and grow to forgive each other and cherish each other yeah so that's love that yeah. love that well let's i think that's a beautiful note to end on for saving miles let's switch gears a little bit and why don't you tell us who you are as a reader what genres do you enjoy reading i i read all kinds of genres although i don't read historical so okay I read all fiction and i don't okay. read short stories really Okay. So it's all fiction writing, but I'll read literary. I'll read popular. I read a lot of crime and mystery because that's my genre. Yep. But my, you know, my writing is character driven. So that's what I'm drawn to. Yeah. 
Yeah, like you were saying, the literary fits in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not really a literary writer, but I try to be. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always been a reader? Yeah, yeah. Oh, let me tell you a story. Okay, so okay. Um, when I was in second, well, first of all, I repeated kindergarten. So, and then I was kind of slow to read second okay. grade and uh, my school didn't have a library. So my parents moved to a, a different suburb with a library. And this library had all these fictionalized books of childhoods of famous people. They all had blue covers okay. and they had pictures and silhouettes of these kids and, and the people that meant something to them. And so what their lives were like as children, it was all made up, of course, but yeah, I read those and my father said, you know, no television after dinner. So all I did was read after dinner and I must've read 50 of those books. Wow. Yeah. All, what are, know, what were the title on these? Oh, I don't know. Thomas Edison, you know, the George Washington Carvers. I can't okay. remember what the titles were. Okay. I've looked for the publisher and I haven't been able to. That's why I was it. like, oh, my son, my son is like a voracious reader now. Like I almost can't keep enough books. Yeah. In the and we have the same, like, we don't do TV after dinner, TV after dinner. And he can, now he's to the point he has a little like clip on book light on his bed. And I'm like, <laughs> if you want to stay up reading, I don't, as long as you're in bed and like quiet, you can read as long as you'd like. Yeah. You know, well, that's great. Well, let me tell you what my parents were like. I used to sneak reading books at night too. <laughs> okay. And I had this lamp that was a green vase with a little ship inside it. And I would have my hand on the light and reading the book. So when my <laughs> parents opened the door, I'd switch off the light and go pretend. under the covers and pretend. <laughs> and they would pretend like they didn't see it. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I think about, and that's what he is like on the bottom bunk. So he kind of makes this yeah. four and I'm like, it's just, it's fun if, yeah. to be a kid again. Right. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. No. Well, let me, let me tell you another story. Let me yeah. grab something. Okay. So when I was about 12, I read a book that I just loved and it's called the Prince of Omea. Okay. And, and I, for some reason, I don't even remember that much about the book, except a boy who's going to be king and they have to escape uh, because the, the 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 other tribe is taking over and he just has this horse and all. Uh, and for some reason, I always remember reading this book. So a couple of years ago, I, it's out of print, but I sent away for a copy of it. Okay. And here it is. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> and I won't read it. I, I was going to ask to if read you it. did. Okay. No, I refuse to read it because, it, you know, I'll tear it apart and it yeah. might not be that good. And I just want to remember what it was like to feel that way when I was a kid. Yeah. The magic of when you read it. Yeah. 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 I've actually considered revisiting books that I've said are my favorite for a long time now that I've read eight, 10 years ago. I'm like, maybe I should revisit them and see if they're still mm. a favorite in that category. Yeah, well, some of them are. I mean, you know, uh, if you read Mystic River again, or you read uh, Winter's Bone again, or, you know, some of those, um, they they really hold up. Or yeah. um, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Oh, my God, that's a great book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how, so now, yeah. in your busyness of life, how, how are you structuring your days? I'm assuming you're writing some and then also reading some. Yeah, yeah. Um, I write every day. 
Okay. Or I try to, or I do something related to writing. Unfortunately, the last month or so, it's been nothing but promotion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but now I'm getting back to revising the book and trying to finish a book in less than two or three years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I do that every day. And um, I both read and I listen to books as well. Okay. So, um, um, uh, so I'll, I'll be reading a book and I'll be listening to a book at the same time. Yeah. 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 I yeah. love that audiobooks can just fill these spaces I, in our day with I, yeah. menial tasks, right? I'm folding laundry. I'm doing dishes. I just love that audiobooks can fill that space. And I still feel like I'm chomping away at a book. There you go. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. yeah. And you get the right narrator and they can bring out so much you never realized. Pat Conroy. Said, okay. He, you know, he had this narrator that was, he really loved. And he said, he'd listened to him. And he says, there were things in my books I never realized I wrote until I listened to him read it. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about how much time he spent with his stories, right? And then to be like, yeah. no, and until I heard it. And I think that's right. I mean, we talk about being different types of learners, right? Whether you're visual, whether you're auditory, whether you're kinesthetic and yeah. whatever that may be. I think we digest things in different ways, whether we're reading it on the page or we're listening to it. Um, I know there's been a, a few times where maybe I've read a personal development book or a book that I really want to like get in and start writing on the margins or highlight. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I better go buy the hard copy of that too. Cause I really wanted to dig into the material deeper right. than what I'm right. getting on the audio, audio listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th I find that sometimes a lot of crime fiction I can listen to because it's yeah. plot driven. And I'm not so concerned about the style and it, you know, and what they're doing with the sentences. Um, but um, I mean, for instance, I'm reading the river we remember. Yeah. And I'm reading the real book there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yes. That is a fantastic one. You'll have to email me back and let me know what you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, so, it's like you're, you're from the Midwest too. I am from Cleveland. So you probably yeah. appreciate it from that regard. Well, I'm not from farm country. I grew up in the city. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I am. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm from Chicago. So, but like well, farmland of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love yeah. William Kent Kruger just for that reason. Cause it pulls me right back to small town sure. <laughs> America. Yeah. Well, he's, his setting's very important to him. And, and I was going to say too, you feel when you read this book, like you're sitting next to a friend who's telling you a story. Yeah. And he's got this omniscient narrator, but it's much more informal. He's telling you what you need to know that the characters don't necessarily know, but he's telling you because it makes the story better. Yeah. And he's one of those writers, I think, that takes difficult topics, right? Like there mm. are some topics in his book that are really hard to read about, but I trust him right to take me yeah. through those yeah yeah well he said yesterday that um he really can't um get behind a book unless he loves the characters yeah so he's very generous that way you know so and i tried to do that in saving miles too that everybody had a reason for the way they were yeah and everybody had a sense of morality even though it was a different morality for each yeah. family yeah. Well, do you read that way too? Because I find honestly, if there's a character and it's a main, one of the main characters that I dislike, I really have a hard time plotting mm. through the yeah. story. Uh, 
Well, sometimes I can. Hannibal Lecter, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you admire him because he's so intelligent, for one thing. But he's also got some values in terms of he's like a he's like a lion protecting his cub. Yeah. He's that kind of predator. And he has an extreme reverence for courtesy. No matter what you do to yeah. somebody, you're courteous about it. <laughs> as wild as that might be about Hannibal Lecter, but here we are. <laughs> well, and in my book, you know, the cartel, they have, I mean, when it comes down to it, they have two basic principles. Your children must survive and they must live a better life than you do. Yeah. And who can't identify with that? Exactly. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't negate them for that, right? I mean, we all want right. that for our children. Yeah, yeah. And even the cartels in Colombia, they said they used to um, admire the Kennedys. Okay. Because the father was a bootlegger and the son was president. Hmm. Yeah, so, that dichotomy yeah. there. Yeah, but well, or that evolving of the family from, you know, from- True. From yeah. violence and crime into being one of the most respected parts, members of society. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You've given me a lot to think about here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not about your children. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but in a good way, right? Of yeah. just history and, you know, looking at that progression of- I keep going back to my book. One of the most complex characters is Andre Wallet, who's seeking redemption. Yeah. And the symbol for him is alchemy, because there have been more books written about alchemy than Christianity. And wow. it's changing lead into gold, which is like money laundering, right? Mm -hmm. But the alchemist can only do that when he has a spiritual awakening. So the secret of everything is a heightened spirituality, which is what Andre is trying to do. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that about more books being written on that. That's Isn't crazy that to think about. Yeah. I well, would for a hundred thousand years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what it was, but um, a lot of books and it, it's a religion. It isn't just changing lead into gold. It's uh, much, much deeper than that. Yeah. And I think you've portrayed that in Andre, right? Like in his, like you said, he's trying to live that throughout his, th his life there. Yeah, he's trying to raise up his life, yeah. life for himself and his child. And his, his wife is sort of going, well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you got to read the book to find out about the wife and why she. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least one side of the family's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. you have been so gracious to prepare a book flight for us as well today. Can you tell us a little bit how they pair together? Well, so my books have to do with family. Okay. And and in one way or another. And the first one is uh, Winter's Bone by Daniel Woodrell. Okay. And every, everyone is, a lot of people have seen the movie. It's Jennifer Lawrence's breakout movie. And John Hawks is in it. He's a, a phenomenal actor in it. And it's one of those rare things where both, the, I think both the book and the movie are brilliant. Okay. Um, don't and, always get that. No, you don't. You don't. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a coming of age. It's a hero's journey of a 16-year-old girl named Ree Dolly. And she uh, lives in the Ozarks. Her family has nothing except a house 
and some land. She has two small, much younger brothers. Her her mother is psychologically damaged, and her father is a meth is a meth dealer. He has been arrested, and the only way he can get a bail bond is to pledge his house and his land for the bail bond, and then he disappears. So mm. she's 16 years old. If she can't find her father, they lose everything. And so um, she has to do that. And it's very much about her uh, becoming a woman and sacrificing herself for her family. And okay. uh, yeah, great writing, wonderful descriptions of winter, um, great characters. Um, it's one of those books that... Um, I listened to it first and it brought tears to my eyes and not many books do that. And then I read yeah. it and it brought tears to my eyes. So it's a wonderful portrayal of, of a teenage girl on the hero's journey. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard of this book. So I am really? very Did intrigued. Did you see the movie? No, but I... Oh my gosh. Yeah. I am not a movie buff by any means. Okay. That is my husband's job. I would, <laughs> my days are so loud that when yeah. I get to the end of the day, I'm like, give me a quiet book. Like I don't <laughs> want like the TV on in the background. Uh, I make myself sit there with my husband just so we can like get some time together. But I'm like, oh, I've just, I just want like peace and okay. quiet at the end of the day, at okay. least right now at this stage yeah. of my life. So well, what this girl has to go through to try and save her family, it, it, you know, it's it's harrowing. Yeah. Yeah, but she's tough. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I love that one. I love the sounds of it. It sounds like it checks all the boxes. And it I does. love a book that makes me feel all the things. Like if I'm laughing and crying in the book, I'm like, yep. Well, it's it's families in the Ozarks trapped by their history and trapped by yeah. their families and how do you escape it? You know, so from that standpoint, it's it's depressing and most most of the characters can't escape it. Yeah. But, uh, but she's doing her best to do it. And, okay. and at the end, there's this wonderful line when her little brothers who are like eight and twelve or something like that, and he said, Are are you gonna leave us now? And she says, you know, I don't know what I'd do without with myself without the two of you waiting on my back. <laughs> like so, after all I've been through, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Love it. Okay, well, that was Winter's Bone by Daniel Woodrell. What's the second book of the pairing today? Um, I liked uh, Mystic River. I've I've long admired that by Dan Dennis Lehane. And um, this one actually influenced me when I wrote Saving Miles, because okay. in a normal mystery, you have a dead body or a killing in the first 15 pages. But in this one, in, there are three boys, 11 years old, and they are offered a, a ride uh, by some men, and the men end up kidnapping one of the boys and sexually abusing him. Okay. Right? And the rest of the book takes place 25 years later. But this incident underlies everything. Yeah. And I thought about that in Saving Miles when, you know, they have to send the boy off to a residential treatment center in the first chapters. And the rest of the book takes place 16 months later. Yeah. So I thought, you know, if it's the basis for the characters, why not? So in this, in Mystic River... Um, you see them 25 years later, and this experience resonates through all three boys' characters. 
Uh, Dave, the one who was amused, is kind of a shell of, of a man. Sure. Um, Sean is trying to right wrongs by being a policeman, maybe because he could never write what happened to his good mm-hmm. friend. Jimmy is full of rage. He's like uh, a ball of testosterone. And um, he, uh, he he's involved with the mob. And so what happened, and he, he's involved very much with families of, of the mob. And, they're, and the three boys are kind of like a family themselves after, after what they went through. So when Jimmy's daughter is murdered and all the evidence points toward Dave, the boy that was, the man that was sexually yeah. abused, it explodes. And uh, you know, so all those in, um, assumptions of what the past does to the future mm-hmm. are in that book. And, and really at the same time, it does resonate throughout the whole future. Um, and, and Dave at one point says that he is like a vampire because he was bitten and now he bites other people. You know, yeah. yeah, wonderful motif. Yeah, wow. yeah. And so, you know, it has a tragic ending, and, uh, but uh, the, the effects of this are just so well done. There's a Wordsworth poem, a famous poem that says, the child is the father of the man. And that's what this book's about. Yeah, yeah wow. So. The child is the father of a man. I have to repeat that, right? To like put it in order in my brain here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the reverse of what you think. Yeah. Um, it's from My Heart Leaps Up, if you ever want to look at the poem. Okay. Very short. Uh, I looked it up this morning. <laughs> okay. Oh, I really <laughs> the like that. child is father of the man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's true of life, right? I mean, if totally. this actually happened and real i mean this would be what's happening and it's not like we have these isolated events that happen to us they are going to persist yeah for our life for your life for your lifetime yeah 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 Yeah. and the things you remember that from when you were a child you know Mm -hmm. Um, and they just um there's a reason you remember them yeah so yeah and even thinking about like what you might, you know, I think our brain might pr- try to protect ourselves to a certain extent, right? Of So maybe they block certain things out or they, the rage of this one character or the shell of the other one, right? It's like just yeah. how the brain takes it in different routes. All were part of the same event, but it takes it. And that's probably the brain prim- trying to protect you, right? Of like, no, right. we're just... Yeah, we're right. going to have a lot of rage around this. And so we just never feel. Yeah. Or we're going to, you know, make you a shell so you never feel. Right, right, yeah. right. And his wife, you know, just can't really, he can't establish a relationship with his wife. And she has doubts about him because he has doubts about himself. Yeah. Um, you know, all I think of it is all arising from this incident when they were kids. Yeah. I think, I guess they had war t- turmoil as well. And that figures into part of it. But I, I'm taking the more basic line. Okay. All right. Well, that was Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. And then what's the last book of the pairing today? Well, uh, of course, who can forget The Godfather, right? Mario Mm -hmm. Puzo. (laughs) And, and again, there's a, there's, it's about family, obviously. And um, there are three brothers. I mean, Frito is kind of intellectually challenged and um, Sonny again is all testosterone and uh, and then there's Michael who's trying to escape what his father has done and escape the mob. He wants to live a better life, mm-hmm. like the cartels in my book. They they want that for their children. Yeah. Um, 
And they also have a morality in that book. Uh, the father will not uh, deal in in heroin. He's totally against that. He refuses it. Mm -hmm. um, he wants his son to escape what he's done. That that's a morality. But above everything else, is the sanctity of the family. You will save your family no matter what you have to do. And that, of course, is the downfall of Michael. That he has to kill somebody in order to save his family. So yeah, what a classic here. What a classic. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, I know I briefly told you this before we hit record, but we lived in Sicily for yeah. three and a half years. And there's yeah. this small village up on the hill where I believe it was set, but the entire village now is just themed of the Godfather. Um, <laughs> any shops, cafes that you go into up there. Um, the name is skipping me right now with my yeah. tired, my tired brain, but I'm like, there's definitely a village. I, I knew there was a, they would do tours from the base. You could go up to this Godfather. Oh village. my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, wow. Beautiful area up there. I, I, I hadn't been to that town, but the town right north of it is where the cruise okay. ships pull in. It's a very beautiful part of Sicily there. So yeah, cool. that's why the cruise ships pull in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they probably do tours from the cruise ship up to this town too, because yeah. it's not far. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so that was The Godfather by Mario Puzo. So yeah. how I love to end the show is with what I call our bonus pairings. They are just yeah. a speed round of questions. You can okay. answer these really quick. Okay. Where is your favorite place to read? I guess the kitchen counter. That's okay. my favorite. Yeah. All um, right. Love it. What is one book you've read that has changed your life? Well, I think those series of books that I talked about before, the yeah. blue-covered um, fictional accounts of famous people that changed my life. I be I became a real reader yeah. after that year. I mean, I was in third grade and I read ninety books, and I was yeah. a slow reader before that. So, you know. and that's what you need—something to ignite your passion of reading. There, yeah, 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 yeah. I think mine were uh, like the Goosebumps books. Oh yeah, those were yeah. like what really I remember reading multiple of those and babysitter's club and I, I mean i don't know that they had a lot of content to them but it ignited my love of reading and that's all go. that mattered yeah 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 i never read much of the hardy boys i read tom swift some but i don't know this never appealed to me for some reason yeah yeah and i think that's with all of us right i mean i could think there's a great book and i'm like oh this is gonna be fantastic but that's just not for the next person yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like when my kids were about 12 and 13, I said, you got to see this movie. This is a great movie. It's yeah. called The Godfather. And they thought it was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, why do we got to watch this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Are you a rereader? Uh, not too much, but some I do. I mean, like I, I've read Winter's Bone twice. I've read Mystic River a couple of times. Um, I'd like to read Beartown again. Um, Frederick, have yeah. you read that yet? I have. It's a great one. Oh man. It, it, you know, and as a writer, you can study this point of view, uh, because he changes point of view four and five times in the same chapter, and he does it flawlessly. Huh. And he's got these little crystallized vignettes of each character so that, you know, by the end of the paragraph, you know who they are. Yeah. You, so I, I I was very impressed with that. And, and plus, you know, the whole setup of hockey being a way of life and how you 
teach boys to become men through hockey. And then the crime in the middle just amps everything up. It's all been prepared. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I want to go back and reread that because I read, I listened to that as an audio book. So I think I would uh, enjoy it because it's also part of a series. Yeah. I haven't read the second, the other books. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm like. I would love to go back and maybe start at that one again and yeah. just remind myself of the storyline to then further, you know, go yeah. further into the series. Yeah. I th I think I'd like to reread um, The Things They Carry too by Tim O'Brien yeah. because there is a writer, you look at objects, objects are really important in writing. Okay. They can really evoke a character in mysterious ways. And his this is all about the things that soldiers carried to get them through Vietnam. Okay. So, you know, what was important to them? What did they carry sort of to keep them going? What did they carry to make them think of home? Um, it's, it's a, it's like a primer on how to use objects as a writer. Yeah. It's really good. I say that sounds really interesting as well. Thank you for growing my TBR here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know. All right. And then last question here, what are you reading next? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm reading, you know, the river we remember right now, mm -hmm. and I'm listening to a Michael Conley book and I haven't decided what I'm going to read after that. Okay. Which Michael Conley one are you listening to? Uh, he's got a lot too. Desert, um, what is it? Desert star. Okay. And he's so, I mean, he's, he knows all the pro police procedure in and out. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. And he puts together a good plot and, and takes it into directions you don't see. So, yeah. It, so cool. Whereas, you know, they're kind of different books because that's a more plot centered procedural book. And then The River We Remember is more of a character driven book. And yeah. How people, oh, I guess, recover from, from grief of war. Yeah. 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 It's a beautiful book. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us tonight, not only your time, but well, also your you. love of reading and all about your writing as well. Well, thank you, Kara. You yeah. are very welcome. This was fun. <laughs> this was fun. Yay. I'm so yeah. glad. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Carl Vondero and his book flight of crime fiction that involves families. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, Especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.